everyone. I'm Teresa Caesar, your host of Heart to Talk, the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today and listening to my second episode. I believe that in our lives, we can have multiple callings, passions, or purposes, however you'd like to define it. It can be during different periods of our lives or even sometimes simultaneously. For me, it started off as being a teacher. I was a third grade teacher for about three years. Then my next calling was to be a mother. I now have two awesome children, Camille and Lorenzo. And today, this podcast, right? However, the inspiration from being a teacher has never left my heart. There's something magical about the exchange you receive in being in the classroom. I missed it so much that actually a couple years ago, I started substitute teaching. So I'd like to dedicate this episode to all the educators out there, teachers, principals, school counselors, nurses, librarians, and even the custodians and office staff for inspiring and making an impact on our children. That brings me to today's guest, Rob Villanueva, who will share with you his personal story of how he discovered his calling to be an educator, how he finds passion in coaching wrestling, and believes that health and self-acceptance are the key to living an authentic and happy life. I bring to you my conversation with Mr. S.V. Hi, Rob. I'm so excited to have you on. So you've been an educator for over 22 years, also wrestling coach. What inspired you to take the path that you're on now? So tell us from the beginning. All right. Well, I, I grew up in Yuma, Arizona. Uh, I, I came from a, a single parent family with uh, my mom raising us. Uh, my parents divorced when I was about 12. I had a ton of drama, everything you think of with my, uh, my dad and, um, Dad left the family. You know, it's hard when you're about 12 or 13 years old when a parent leaves and, and you've been attached to him. And and uh, But it was probably the best decision my mom ever made, you know, to make sure that we were safe and that we were okay. We lived on the outskirts of uh, a gang neighborhood. And it was probably a, a good mile, mile and a quarter from my house to the other side uh, to get to school. And it was through a gang neighborhood, you know. And so it was kind of tough for me and my brothers and my and my friends right but we were we were kind of known as the schoolboys. i i love being in school i wasn't the, the smartest kid like the straight a kid and like that but i just love being around uh, other kids very you know i love the social aspect of school and i fell in love with sports and i fell in love with writing wrestling was the one that i just fell in love with all of a sudden i, I became good at it i wanted to get an academic scholarship or a sport a wrestling scholarship so i can go study somewhere you know because i grew up poor it was just my mom who grew up on a Grew up on food stamps, grew up on every kind of government assistance you can think of. And, but you know, one great thing though, my mom always said like, our lives are not going to be like this, you know, always. So just know this is temporary for us, you know, cause you always hear people, I hear it all the time. Like, oh, you know, government assistance, this government assistance, that, but I'm a, I'm a product of that. You know, I grew up on government cheese and government milk, uh, which I hated. Even in college, get this, even in college at the university, I would go home, my mom would give me my food stamps so I could buy groceries at Safeway. And I'd come home with the, I'd come back to the U of A with a big old block of government cheese, you know, and I would shred that thing up and my mom would make tortillas for me and I would make quesadillas all the time. And a lot of my friends who, uh, you know, came from a different background were like, what, you make quesadillas with this? And they, they loved it, you know, it was kind of cool, but they're like, oh, government cheese is the best, right? But That's anyway. Funny. I gotta find me some government cheese. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, so I grew up. The love for school it was still with me, you know. And my mom told me when I was a kid growing up, you have two choices. You're either going to, um, when you hit 18, you're either going to get a job and you're going to work for a living or you're going to go on to school. And I was like, I'm not going to work, you know. And especially back home in Yuma, you know, people were just getting these, you know, 
regular jobs and that was going to be their life. And I didn't, I didn't want that for myself. You know, I wanted, I wanted more. The whole love of writing in school kicked in because I originally wanted to be a, a sports writer. This is back before, like, I think ESPN was first, you know, kicking in and things like that. And I was a huge, like, Sports Illustrated fan. I wanted to write for a magazine like that, you know, start off, start off small in a newspaper and then kind of move up to there. And so that was my goal when I got to the U of A. And then it just... It just changed. I worked at a boys and girls club my first summer going back home to Yuma, and um, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with like working with kids. I fell in love like playing sports with them and being able to teach them things. And the next summer, I got hired to work at a summer camp in New York. Never been on an airplane. Never traveled uh, west of. The Mississippi? Yeah, west of the Mississippi. I've gone in Houston once, but that was it. You know, everything else was like California, Arizona, Mexico. So I flew to LaGuardia Airport, right? Thought I was going to get mugged. Sorry, New York. I didn't know. I was a small human town kid, never been on an airplane. Took a red eye flight, picked up my luggage, and I'm sitting there gripping my luggage. Like, I'm going to get mugged at, at, at the airport, right? And, um, I get to I get to the summer camp. It was a big culture shock because these kids were like upper 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 class kids, and here's this poor kid from Yuma, you know. And I'm like, how am I going to fit in here? I mean, I'm like, I think one or two or three people of color there, you know. And I, I fell in love with the camp. It was awesome. I fell in love with like working with the kids and uh, teaching these kids about my life. And till this day, I still I still mean some of my uh, ex campers. Um, we follow each other on Instagram or I have their numbers or I'll text them to see they're all grown men with families and kids and everything. But it was great, you know, and I came back like fired up when I came back from New York. I was like, wow. I mean, I got to walk in the middle of Times Square and I thought, this is amazing. A small town kid from Yuma growing up in a gang neighborhood. And there I am staring at all the, all the tall buildings and thinking like, wow, now this is what my mom meant by chase my dreams, you know? And so that inspired me. I came back. And uh, I decided to be an education major and eventually graduated with an English education degree. So I ended up in San Jose, California, I taught seventh grade. And I didn't even teach English. I taught history because my minor was history and fell in love with the Bay Area. And I was there for three years because I moved back here in 2001. So when I came back to Tucson, now, now I had a grip on things. And so I get to Grijalva Elementary and I dropped down to fourth grade. So I went from sixth to eighth, and I had uh, freshmen and sophomores uh, together in the class. And now I go down to fourth graders. And I realized that I used to think that I could make the biggest difference at the high school level because they're about to make their life choices. You know, they're going to graduate. And I realized that being with the young kids when they're nine and 10 years old, you start planting the seeds there. Shoot, even kindergarten, right? First grade, right? I didn't realize that. And once I, once I figured that out, that I can make a, a much bigger difference with the younger kids. I stayed there. So that's how I got into teaching. And then coaching was just like my, my passion. Um, I started off at, in college. I was going into different wrestling rooms and kind of helping out. Um, at one point, I was at Tucson High School. Ended up at Choya High School uh, as an assistant coach again, and then eventually took, uh, became a head coach. And I was there for a total of 13 years. And then now I'm at Marana High School. Um, and then I just finished my third year coaching there. So, um, it's been, it's been a great ride. I mean, working with kids, making a difference. Uh, I feel like I've been, um, I've played a lot of different roles, wore a lot of different hats, you know, when you're a teacher or you're a coach, sometimes your dad, 
Sometimes you're a counselor, sometimes your mom, sometimes your um, doctor, you know. So you know that like education, it's it was your calling, right? Right. Um, passion is coaching. But so now tell me about what your, I guess, ultimate goal. Like you feel like you've reached your highest potential as far as in the education world? Yeah, thank you. I'm actually in the middle of my graduate program. I'm graduating in May. I'm super excited. In May, I can apply to be a, an actual school principal. So that's where that's where I'm heading to now. And then after that, we'll see what the next step is, you know. But right now, that's, that's where my sights are set on. I can't wait to hear when you're a principal. Yeah. Um, so when you're a principal, will you continue to uh, be a wrestling coach? Uh, I probably will not have the time and, and I got to put my uh, entire um, my heart and soul into this you know um, this is where I want to be but I, I mean I'm not going to give up coaching in the sense that like I, I won't stop like popping into the wrestling room here and there or going to watch the compete when I can participate on or volunteer on the weekend but I think it'll be fun to kind of sit back and know that um um, other people will, will be running the show now, you know, and I know we have good people that, that will take over and run it. That's awesome. All right. So do you, is there anything else you want to tell our listeners about your journey where you came from Yuma? You had this mom that was so encouraging. You went to college, you ate government cheese. <laughs> so but in between, right. All that going through life, you also had a health scare. I did, yeah. One day I was out mountain biking by myself and came back and I, I felt like in you know in the crotch area where, when you're mountain biking, you always get sore because you're constantly hitting the seat, you know, because you're climbing rocks, you're going downhills, you name it. And it's normal to feel, you know, kind of bruised down there. I don't go in a couple of days, which it normally does, but this time it didn't. So I went and got it checked and my doctor says, oh, you have a, you have abscess, you have a bacteria infection. I take the antibiotics and... They don't work. Nothing, nothing's nothing's kicking in, and so um, what the interesting part was that I was about to start my school year, and it was two. I believe it was two days before the day of the for the first day of school, and I have I always have parent volunteers come and helping me set up my classroom. My old students come home, and one of the moms looks at me and she's like, "SV, you do you do not look good. You, you I think you need to go to your doctor. Head to the emergency room, right?" And I'm in pretty bad shape, so we go to a valley, which every time I drive by it, I just like. Oh, Man, so thankful and every time I see the hospital. Um, they get me right in. There's no, there's nobody waiting. Um, they get me right in. They take my temperature. My temperature is like 104, 105. So they tell me, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to have surgery. We're going to, we're going to uh, make sure we flush that out, get rid of that. Surgery was successful. It went good. Um, one of the nurses comes in and she says, Hey, one of the surgeons wants to come in and talk to you about what he saw on the CT scan, you know? So he comes in and doesn't even wait. You know, he comes right in, doesn't even sugarcoat it. He's like, "Hey, I think you got kidney cancer." I'm sitting there like, "What? What did you just say?" I'm sitting there thinking like, "Wait, no, I came in for abscess. You know, I came in for the bacteria infection. How, how in the world can I have cancer?" So uh, they took out about a third of my uh, kidney, and so which means is I, I, until this day I got two thirds of a kidney and I got my full kidney, and. Um, and fortunately for me, it, it never came back. You're good. You're cancer-free. It's not coming back, you know. And that's exactly what happened, you know. So um, at the very beginning, it was very nerve-wracking. It was very tough. No one in my family had cancer before. Uh, friends that I had uh, didn't have cancer before. Thank you to my ex-wife because she was there the, the entire time uh, while this was going on and was very supportive. Um and at the same time, it, it started to, to develop a lot of 
conversations amongst me and my male friends, which we had never had before. It was about health. You know, and, and a lot of them had never, you know, hadn't been to the doctor, were afraid to go to the doctor. And I would just tell them, like, we, we need to go. Well, that's awesome. And then it seems like you've also inspired your friends to go, I guess, take their health in, in their own hands. And because I think it's a, for a lot of men, too, it's kind of right. They avoid the doctor. Absolutely. It's just like, no way, unless it's like you're dying. <laughs> you know? and, even, and even within cultures. And, and uh, in the I, culture, yeah. Even in cultures. And I mean, I could speak from from growing up in a Latino culture that Latino men, oh my God. I mean, you hear like comedians like George Lopez and other people talk about like, no, we don't go to the doctor. We don't go to counseling. We don't go to therapy. We don't, we don't do any of that, right? You're not a real man if you do those kind of things, right? That's kind of what we grew up with, you know? And then on top of that, you have the whole macho, you know, you got to be macho and tough and you got to be tough. Well, when cancer kicks in, there's the, yeah, you got to be tough, you know, but there's a lot more to life than being being that, you know, being tough. And so I think this, you know, I think a lot of us too, a, a lot of uh, my friends and I, my fraternity brothers and I, uh, who I, I speak to on a daily, daily basis, um, we, we're really working to break those stereotypes, you know? And I've talked to you and, and talked about like uh, meditation and uh, doing things that just make you feel good about yourself. You know, I think that self-care is extremely important now. And so I think uh, sometimes when I look back on, on cancer, it kind of just, uh, it, it awoke me to, to, you know, enjoy life and looking around and thinking that like things aren't always set in their ways. You know, you, you, you choose your own path that you want to choose. You know, you, you know, I grew up in Yuma thinking that like my life was always going to be poor. And I had my mom tell me that that's, that's not going to happen. You know? And I think back to her words and think back to all those experiences and think back to her mom's, you know, it's really great. I, I think encouraging others, you know, to do their best, to chase their dreams, um, I think I always had help along the way, always had help along the way, whether it was a, a wrestling coach or was it my family members or was it uh, friends, you name it, teachers. Um, I always had help. And I always think like it's important to always reach back and help others along the way. I agree. I, I love that, Rob. Um, gosh, you are just such an inspiration. We are going to close our episode with three ending questions. The first one, um, we're going to lighten it up here. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened? It could be in the classroom or if you could think of something to tell us. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you? You're putting me on the spot. And I, and I think I need to lighten it up with some good humor. I had this one time at elementary school and uh, I was teaching and I was with a group of students. And uh, earlier, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to share this. Earlier that day, I didn't bring my I didn't bring my lunch that day, so I ate the cafeteria lunch, and you know what that means. You know, that means your stomach is uh, turning upside down, and I think it was even like a bean burrito. So after lunch, you know, I take the kids back in the classroom, and then it's like I'm looking at the time, and I'm dying in my classroom. And you can imagine why, right? My stomach is rumbling. It's talking to me. You know, you shouldn't have eaten that burrito, uh, you know? And so I'm like, all right, kids, let's go. It's time for PE. So the kids are excited. Let's go, Mr. Asby. Let's go. And they're excited. They're running outside. So I find this area, look around the playground, and I'm near this big tree. It's just me and this tree, right? I'm just like, oh, my God, I have to release the gas, right? I've been holding it for since lunchtime. I can't believe I'm sharing the story with you, Teresa. And I let it out. And I mean, I let it out. Probably the neighbors behind me could hear it because that burrito just didn't work, right? And I'm just like, oh my God, like ah, such relief, right? It felt so good. And oh my gosh, right in me is a tree. 
to the left of me is one of my fifth grade boys looking at me with a face of like, oh my God, Mr. SV just let out the loudest fart I have ever heard in my life. And I'm looking down like, um, there's nothing I could say. There's nothing I could do. And he pauses, I swear it's for like 10 seconds. And he takes off running back. And I'm like, oh my God, he's going to tell all the kids in the classroom. This is horrible. Like I get back. He didn't tell anybody. Uh, (laughs) This guy wants to be a principal. Oh my God. He's got a lot of gas. All right. Second question. What's your favorite quote? I like what, um, what Gandhi said. You know, Gandhi said, be the change uh, you want to see in the world, you know? And I, That's my favorite quote. No way. Oh my gosh, I love it. I, I've That's had, my favorite. My 100% I, favorite. Yeah. When I was in, in class, I, I had that poster just posted everywhere, you know, because we would, kids and I, we would have these amazing talks about life. And because it wasn't just when you're in the classroom, you don't just do math, science, uh, reading, writing, you know, social studies. You learn, you learn about everything and you learn about life and you learn about treating each other well. And you learn about being a community and helping one another out. And I think sometimes, like even, even today, this, this quote just resonates, you know, because I mean, some of the greatest leaders, I think MLK and uh, Cesar Chavez, they, they studied uh, Gandhi and, and his words and his teachings. And it just, you know, sometimes we can blame everyone around us, you know, you blame whoever and it's their fault. That's why my life is this way. And, and, um, Really, every every everything is with us, right? Everything is within us, you know. And so, you make you you you're able to change yourself. I mean, the world around you changes, you know. But you can only start with you, you know. And then after that, other people can do do their own thing. And, and eventually, um, I think things just start to fall in place, you know. But yeah, I do love that quote. I agree. Great, great quote. I'm adding that to the bank. Awesome. All right, last question. What's the biggest lesson you have learned? I think it's. Um, being okay with who I am felt like there was times where I try to p- portray an image, you know, uh, this guy who's you know, in control of his life, this guy who does this, this guy who's a go-getter, he's this and that. And, but at the same time, like, you know, there was a lot of like feelings and unhappiness inside and maybe people won't like me because of that. Maybe people won't like me because of this. And I think I've reached the point where like, I, I love who I am. You know, I, I love, um, being able to to make a difference in this world, be able to make people laugh, you know, sharing uh, burrito stories, right? Um, just just being okay, you know, and loving life, and loving life to the fullest, you know? People are still going to love you, right? And you, you just got to open it up, you know, open yourself up to this world um, and allow people to see who you are and know that every, every day that you wake up, every day is a, is a good day, you know, because you can't take anything for granted. And if you're okay with yourself, Everything else falls right in the place, you know? That's well said, Mr. SV. I love it. You are a rock star. Seriously. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. And uh, a big shout out to uh, to Ms. Teresa because she has started this uh, Hard to Talk um, podcast on her own. And uh, she's... I know she's going to do great things. She's got an incredible personality, an amazing heart. And uh, I look forward to, to listening every every single episode you got. And I know that you're going to do great things. Again. And, and I'm honored and, and, and very thankful uh, for you having me on your, on your podcast. Rob, that is very kind. Seriously, I, I appreciate that compliment. And well, have an awesome rest of your day. Okay, you too. Thank you, Teresa.
Thank you so much for joining my conversation with Mr. SV. If you liked what you heard, please hit subscribe and tell your friends. Also, show notes and information about upcoming episodes can be found at www.hearttotalk.com or you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'll be back in two weeks.